I got it. When I first heard about Dave being trapped in a maze. One, two, three, four. I built a labyrinth. Can you believe it? Dave is trapped in a cardboard maze in his living room and he can't get out. Welcome to Dave Made a Minute, the podcast where a whole bunch of us are exploring the film Dave Made a Maze one minute at a time. The twist. Many of the participants have never seen the film. Some don't even know what film they're sampling. They get their minutes and they tackle them as they see fit. Here's your host from the Groundhog Day Project and Michael Myers Minute, Robert Black. Minute 33, everyone follows Dave and they come out of it changed. The tackle Minute 33, we have Eric Deutsch and Brad Hall of Flash Gordon Minute. You come home, there's a giant maze in your living room. You're like, what the? There's a giant maze in my living room. I've heard of people rearranging the furniture, but this is wackadoodle crazy. This doesn't make any sense. Did I promise? Did I promise to my second? It's like a fucking cocktail party in here. If I get a few words from you before you go. We are at minute 33 of Dave Made a Maze. Eric, how are you doing? Well, Brad, I was doing well. But then I looked in the mirror right before uh, we got on together. Have you ever had one of those bad dreams where, like, you're you, but you don't really look like you, so you're not sure if you're you? Well, as I said, I looked in the mirror, and I am a crude puppet, and it's no dream. It's no dream. We're all puppets now. (sighs) So, folks, Eric and I, you may have heard our uh, wonderful voices uh, and our... uh, should be copyright, copyrighted intro from Flash Gordon Minute, another zany movie. So I guess we're just become the zany movie guys. Yeah, we're a little bit typecast, although I got to say, as zany as Flash Gordon is, it's got nothing on whatever this thing we're watching is. This is a, this is a unique uh, exper- experiment. Uh, we're glad uh, and thank uh, the, the minds behind this podcast for bringing us in because uh, this, this, is, this is different. We are coming from, uh, you know, the world of Flash Gordon, and uh, we we have a lot of love for that 1980 uh, treasure starring Sam Jones. Uh, but this is one that I, I I was not familiar with this movie, and I believe you are the same, correct? Yeah, uh, never saw the movie, never heard about the movie until uh, we agreed to join this endeavor. And uh, I, I I will say up front that until you looked it up right before we hit the record button, I didn't even know the name of this movie. What's so fun with the podcasting format is you have the ability to do weird, crazy stuff and try different things. I, again, I'm another admission. I'm, I am only watching the three minutes that the Flesh Gordon Minute team were assigned. So my comments, I, I have no idea what sense they're going to make. Eh, it's no different for us. So, Eric, you are our recapping guy, and I'm just going to toss this one right into your court. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, the minute starts, uh, we are in the middle of a line of dialogue. A guy who we can only see, like, from the shoulders up is ending a sentence that says, lose you guys. And I- I'm I'm assuming that maybe, like, minute 32 ended with him saying, I-, I don't want to lose you guys or something along those lines. But I feel like it would be much better if instead he he was saying... I feel like my life would have no meaning if I were to lose you guys. And based based on some of the wacky stuff going on in this film, uh, I actually think that could fit. Yeah, it could work either way. It could work either way. Very eye-catching sets here. And uh, you and I, uh, from our home base of Flash Gordon, we're used to some eye-catching sets. This is... Um, I, I, it, and I'm trying to figure of any movie that gave me a similar 
feel to this. Closest I'm coming to is, did you ever see, I think it was Dogville? No. Uh, okay, well, it's... <laughs> just a, killed that. Yeah, <laughs> just drive it. It was a uh, Lars von Trier, uh, pardon me, Lars von Trier film starring uh, Nicole Kidman from 2003. I actually didn't like the movie at all. Um, it, but even more bare bones have said it actually, it was a, mo- a movie where they had no sets. All they had was like chalk marks on the ground to indicate this is the house. This is the door. This is the church. Now, this obviously has a lot more to it than, you know, chalk mark, but still a very bare bones feel to it. And, uh, I, I very, a lot of solid colors that pop a little bit. So I, I you know, I'll tell you what, I'm digging the set a little bit. Yeah, I mean it's it's got kind of a, an experimental theater feel, you know, to to the set design. I mean, I'm sure that um, as minimal as the set is, I'm sure that the set designer of the movie must have had a blast doing it because it was probably a very unique project. Yeah, I um, <laughs> stuff like that's always dangerous, and um, as we. We've talk, you and I have talked about, um, I came from a theater background. I used to do a lot of uh, Baltimore community theater and uh, you know, all the way back, gosh, till middle school. And the most dangerous thing in the world, um, it seemed to be especially bad in college, but uh, it could be really dangerous in communities as well, is if you have a really talented uh, set designer who uh, isn't scared of the director because they will come up with some crazy crap. And, uh, yeah, I saw it all the time in college where it was like, oh, I know what I can do. And yeah, there's nothing you can do about it because we're both 19. <laughs> well, it's also and also uh, the, the beginning of this minute with the the table and, and the boxes next to it, it, it. For some reason, it just makes me think of Peanuts, the Peanuts uh, cartoons. Mm, mm hmm. Mm hmm. I'm going to come out and just say it. Uh, I was fine with the Peanuts cartoons. Never thought the Peanuts uh, comic strip was funny at all. Oh come on now! There was there was there was a long stretch of years where that that comic strip is, is it's amazing. It was definitely artistically impressive, and I get what um, Chuck Schultz was going for, but uh, sometimes that didn't have the great pop, uh, didn't have the greatest punchline. Now perhaps, as you said, it, there was a stretch where it was at its peak, and that went on for a that, that strip went on for a long time. So maybe it's just a matter of me cat coming on to like my comic strip reading period of time too late when he had uh, lost his fastball a uh, good comment there about peanuts because some of the best stuff was when charlie brown was getting knocked down by the fastballs on the you know in the baseball field gets all the clothes knocked off he ends up in his underwear and socks on the pitcher's mound great stuff yeah <laughs> yeah okay folks this is uh this is a little taste of what eric and i do we digression the hell out of stuff uh i remember playing little league and the like the Wife of the manager of my, like, nine-year-old Little League team would always yell to all our uh, batters. is like, knock his socks off! And she was doing a reference to Peanuts when they would hit Charlie Brown with, a, with the, the comebacker. And he would knock all his clothes off. So she would actually always wear, like, Charlie Brown shirts and Snoopy shirts to the games to remind us to knock his socks off like Charlie Brown's socks were knocked off. See, and that now what your manager's wife was saying is now sending me on an, on my own tangent and reminding me of about 10 years ago, there was a movie 
with Dustin Hoffman called Lance, Last Chance Harvey uh, that I never saw, but they, the, the commercials for the movie were running ad nauseum on TV, and my wife and I loved to goof on the ad campaign because at one point in the ad, Emma, Emma Thompson, yeah, Emma Thompson says, you know, oh, you know, where are we going? You know, and he, just, he says, I'm going to dance your socks off. And we just thought it was such a horribly lame line to include in a marketing campaign. And to us, it just signified this must be an absolutely horrendous movie. Dustin Hoffman saying, I'm going to dance your socks off. I, I don't know how many people went and saw that movie. I know my movies, and I've never heard of that movie. Someone do Last Chance Harvey Minute. Get on that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking. Not, uh, I actually pulled it up. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, Emma Thompson. Love Emma Thompson. James Brolin, Richard Schiff. Uh, I like Richard Schiff as well. It was 2008, so 10 years old. Never heard of it. Made some money. Really? It had a $5 million budget and made $32 million. I'm going to go get some crow and eat it for dinner then. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not like a... It's, it's it's not Titanic or nothing. But, no, but yeah. come on, the, the ratio to investment there, I mean, that's incredible. Good for Dustin Hoffman. So let's get back to Dave made a May. So, uh, so well, the dude that that's that's uh, we only see from the shoulders up there. He's got a glove on his hand, and I can't quite make out if it's a cold weather mitten or if it's like an MMA fighting type boxing glove. Can you figure that out there? Let me see. I'm looking. It's like right at the beginning of the minute. You got to free stream it right at the beginning. That's an MMA glove. Okay. That's an MMA glove. Uh, I will never know why he's wearing that glove. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he disappears uh, into the Charlie Brown table there. And, you know, the the, the five other people in the scene here, uh, and, and, you know, again, I, I know I'm saying people and stuff, but, you know, I, I want to emphasize to everyone, not only did I not watch just the movie, I didn't do any research at all whatsoever. So I'm sorry to everyone who's really gotten into this. I don't know the names of any of these characters. But they've all got, they're very confused. They're very concerned. You can tell by the looks on their faces. Yet, they all immediately jump down the pink box to follow the guy. And so my thought for that is, wouldn't it be great to have that kind of blind loyalty from a bunch of people to do something that has no basis in physics or reality, and they all just, eh, let's just do it anyway. Oh, man, I can't, I have a tough enough time convincing people to come on to a podcast to talk about a movie <laughs> from 1980. It's pretty impressive. I have a feeling there was a cut scene. There was some sort of uh, Goonies-esque, come on, it's our time conversation to get the people to jump down there, because it is a little jarring. They just... He goes down and everyone else, and you don't even see them follow him. You just see a really nifty scene of this paper mache or construction paper piping. And it's a neat physical act where you, you, and you hear the sound effect where it bumps and there's some movement on the pipes. Um, very Warner Brothers cartoon-esque. You would always see that where, I don't know, Bugs Bunny would dive down a pipe. And you would see the movement, and it was obviously very influenced by that. But, uh, it, yeah, there, there was a missing scene. They, they, they cut for time, I believe. Um, but it's a neat scene, and I do like 
I do like this set, and I do like its design. And um, you could imagine them doing this animated instead, and I'm glad they went with this construction paper feel because there's um, a little bit of a weird heft to it that uh, if they green-screened or animated, it wouldn't have worked nearly as well. Yeah, I agree. I think it looks much better this way. I mean, I wonder if this movie was so low budget, they might not have even had the budget to do CGI, green screen, whatever. And, you know, this was what the budget had, but it works better than I think CGI would have. Um, and you're right. Yeah. The, you know, the Warner Brothers comparison. I like that. And uh, I, another movie scene I thought of with the pipes was uh, one of the most gruesome movie deaths I've ever seen. The remake of The Blob, the Kevin Dillon one from the late 80s. There's that guy who who's uh, uh, working in the restaurant kitchen and the sink is clogged and he sticks his hand in to try to figure out what it is. And the blob just sucks him into the drain of the sink and you see the metal pipes bulge as it pulls the dude into there. Uh, it's a really gross scene. Uh, and uh, that's the scene that popped into my head. Uh, that's a movie that you have brought up before in conversations. <laughs> yes, that's obviously a movie that has messed you up. <laughs> well, well, it was a big deal in my hometown because Kevin and Matt Dillon went to grew up in my hometown, went to my high school. So anything with the Dillons when I in the eighties when I was a kid was a really big deal. So everyone in my hometown made sure to see the Blob. Uh, and yeah, I guess it uh, it's one of the first horror movies. I guess I saw it at an impressionable age, so it stuck with me. A funny thing that happens with movies. And I bet every every area has a film or two like that where the movie that wasn't successful except for it was filmed somewhere. And not just filmed somewhere, but filmed and it's an area that doesn't get a lot of movies made and also takes place there and sort of in, includes their sort of feel. Um, I know... Uh, I live uh, a little bit north of Baltimore. There's a lot of movies filmed in Baltimore, but they usually take place. They're usually filming in Baltimore, but saying that it's set in Washington D.C. House of Cards is like that. House of yeah. Cards uh, takes place in Washington D.C. A ton of the stuff is filmed in Baltimore, so people don't feel as attached to it as opposed to the old show Homicide: Life on the Streets, which was in The Wire. Two shows that took place in Baltimore and had a very Baltimore feel to it. And so those shows are wildly popular in Baltimore. Were wildly popular in Baltimore because it's like, oh, well, that's the subway in Baltimore. Da, da, da. I remember in college dating a girl who lived outside of Pittsburgh and there was a movie called uh, Striking Distance with um, Bruce Willis. It was a bomb movie, but it was filmed in Pittsburgh and it, had all, and it, it took and the setting was Pittsburgh, and man, went to my girlfriend took me to see it like months after it was out, but it was still playing in Pittsburgh theaters, and was just completely crowded because people were excited about that movie. <laughs> that reminds me of um, when Titanic came out. I was living in a city called Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and it has a, a small town just north of it called Chippewa Falls, and the, the the Leonardo DiCaprio character in Titanic was from Chippewa Falls. And at one point early in the movie, he actually mentioned something about growing up in Chippewa Falls. And it was just it, it was the hugest thing for, for months and months and months. And I remember when I saw the movie in the theater and he said, oh, you know, growing up in Chippewa Falls, everyone in the theater was like, oh, people are suckers for that. That's why wedding singers mentioned the name of the bride and groom. But it's like switching out Jack and Diane. <laughs> the, where's eh, people are suckers for that. 
So, so what else? Um, we haven't even gotten to like the highlight of this minute. Oh no! <laughs> we, we, yeah. So a, a, a small colored ball flies out of the bottom of the pipe, and at first I thought what I thought was going to happen was that all of them were going to be combined into some giant paper ball or something like that. Uh, but no, I was not at all prepared for what they come out at because each one of them is a brown paper bag puppet. Yep. Yep. I tell you what, they, they, whoever did the design did a good job because you could sort of see, you, you could tell who was supposed to be what, and you know, not just from the voice acting, but they, you know, it, were able to get a little bit of likeness in it and then designed it so it was wearing the same clothes, quote unquote. Right. So, uh, not bad. It's, I, here's the amazing thing. Before this, I can't remember the last time. It's been a long, long time since I last thought of a bag puppet. I think Fandango did a bunch of ads yes. with bag puppets. Yes, they did. Yep. And I remember the world's worst comedian clown at a festival came up to me. And a producer of uh, uh, the, the producer of Flash Gordon Minute, Jarf Harden, was with me, and we were there with our girlfriends. And a comedian came up and decided, "It's like, hey guys, let's let me make a bag puppet image of your friend here." And he made a bag puppet that was supposed to look like Jarf. He's like, "That's just two eyes and a tongue." And, and then he talked a little bit about some like biology article that he read. It's like, "You're the worst clown ever." <laughs> and that's saying something. It's like the clown from it was a better clown than you. <laughs> and one of the guys says, "I suppose this was only a matter of time," as, as he realizes what has become of them. And so I'm going to speculate a bit here on the first 32 minutes of this movie that I know nothing about. If it was only a matter of time that they turned into paper bag puppets. I'm going to say that I came up with a list of other things they might have already turned into that would leave them to be completely nonplussed by the situation. Uh, they could have already been claymation uh, figures. Uh, they could have turned into Muppets. They could have been frogs. They could have been stick figures drawn by a five-year-old. They could have been Transformers. Mm, you, that would have been cool. Yeah. Futurama characters. Mm -hmm. Or penguins. Uh, I could have also seen, yeah, yeah, they could have gone full, um, uh, robot chicken. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, I actually went a different way with it. I, for me, it was less, what else have they been turned into? And more, everything else has been turned into paper. Like ah, okay, yeah, that like, works. Oh, I should have realized it sooner or later we were going to be turned into the puppet people. Uh, By the way, yeah. I still think you should have a bigger reaction, but, uh, you know. <laughs> They're living the life of the movie, not me. Right, right. Go with the go with the the, the universe of the movie, not the real world. Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess uh, five minutes of uh, you know paper bag puppet people wetting themselves and crying, uh, you know, <laughs> may not be the most entertaining thing. But right. well, so, speaking of, well, speaking of uh, of um, physical uh, reactions, though, uh, or, or you know, the cameraman does spit something out of his mouth. Uh, and I actually, I, I, I watched it on freeze frame cause I really wanted to figure out what it was. And it, it's just, even on freeze frame, it's just way too quick. It looks like it's orange, but I can't quite figure it out. So I, I'm going to make another speculation here that, uh, this guy throughout the movie, he's been spitting. And so the joke is that even as a paper bag, he still is spitting. And so 
you know, if it was orange, that means he's spitting out because he's a brown paper bag. Usually you're using those for lunch. Uh, I'm going to speculate he's spitting out a piece of orange left over in the brown paper bag. I'll go for that. I'll go for that. That's crazy enough to work. Sure. Why not? All right. So uh, that sort of wraps up the minute. I'm, I'm, anything else you want? You know, now they're just walking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but we do get a cool – I like the POV shot of, you know, they ask uh, this guy Dave, you know, are they safe? And they, they get a, a POV of Dave's point of view of the other paper bags sort of moving in on him, you know, waiting for him to answer. I, I think it's a cool shot. You know, it's hard to take it seriously because they're paper bags, but the, the, the menacing manner they're almost moving in on him – I think it works. And I love that he doesn't answer them. He just says, oh, let's just keep moving. He doesn't even bother trying to lie to them about whether they're safe or not. So, uh, you know, minute ends on a, on a, a nice note. Yeah. And uh, uh, some good bouncy tuba music. Yes. Yes. I love the music. Yeah, it's good. And this is a movie that did not have a huge budget. Uh, I did a little tiny bit of research. And uh, once we figure out the name of the movie, uh, it's a micro-budgeted thing. And uh, as has been brought up a couple times, you know, we're from uh, Flash Gordon Minute, uh, which is uh, a spinoff of the Cosmic Geppetto podcast, which is a little pop culture show that uh, I founded in uh, host. And Eric's been on several times. And uh, we, we try to do a lot of original music for that. And uh, when you have no money, you work real hard to find talented people that will do stuff cheap or do stuff free. And uh, I would love to know the story of them trying to get a really cool tuba player to work cheap. It's like, because, uh, you know, it, it, there's just a real fun thing of the, the DIY aspect of that, you know, you know, getting cool music and getting people to donate or severely discount their talents. And, uh, you know what? It sounds great. It is a good sounding uh, background soundtrack on this minute. Hey, you know what? It's been fun. Uh, Neither of us are familiar with this movie. I'll tell you what's really cool, Eric. This is the first time in a long while that it's just been me and you. Yeah, it's weird. We, uh, uh, we're we in the middle still of recording Flash Gordon Minute, folks. And uh, except for the first few minutes of the movie, we always have had a guest. Uh, so uh, me and Brad are, are using this movie to reconnect with each other. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's uh Flash Gordon Minute is uh, it's one of these uh, minute by minutes, and what's cool about the minute by minute format is you have very different relationships between the the people hosting the show, and you, you have people who married or dating or friends for a long, long time. Uh, Eric and I basically, uh, the first minute we recorded the Flash Gordon Minute was only the second time we ever talked. And uh, we we ask that you you know give a listen, download some old episodes because it is fun because you hear two a, a two guys who didn't know each other and uh, become fast friends over the course of their show. Absolutely, absolutely. And so. uh, I don't know exactly when uh, this is going to air, but uh, by the time it does, um, you might be almost done with Flash Court in a minute, so you might be able to binge almost our entire show. Yeah, and there's a chance that you could actually hear the friendship end because of uh, <laughs> Wait, wait until minute one eleven, the final minute in which Brad and Eric come to blows over the airwaves. <laughs> it, it's like a festivist. All of a sudden, there's the airing of grievances, and it just goes. Uh, <laughs> Here's the hell what after that. Me off about you back in minute eighty seven, Brad. <laughs> I never said anything. All right, well, uh, Eric, where can people find out more about our little show, Flash Gordon Minute? 
yep, if, if you're interested in Flash Gordon Minute and you like us, um, our website is uh, growlermedia.com slash Flash Gordon. Growler is G-R-O-W-L-E-R, growlermedia.com slash Flash Gordon. We're on Facebook. We have the Flash Gordon Minute listeners vortex there. We're on Twitter, Flash Gordon Pod. Uh, so uh, check us out. All right, well, we will be back again. So uh, keep listening. I hope you subscribe to the, this this uh, little slice of heaven. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, Eric, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. See you at our next minute in the future. And then I can probably disarm all the traps. And then we can, we can finish this maze. Who is with me? That was Eric Deutsch and Brad Menon Hall of Flash Gordon Minute taking a minute 33 of Dave Made a Maze. They will be back in minute 57. Next time, on Dave Minute Minute, we've got Alex Thompson of Galaxy Quest Minute along with Niall McGowan and John Parker of Bat Minute Returns, taking a minute 34. Thank you for listening to Dave Made a Minute. Intro dialogue snippets were taken from Dave Made a Maze, directed by Bill Watterson, written by Bill Watterson and Steve Sears, and produced by John Charles Meyer. Intro music is Diversion by The Equals, featured in the film Dave Made a Maze, and Life Cycle of a Match by Parvis Decree. Outro music is Leaving This Godforsaken Place and Her Presence is Strong Here by Parvis Decree. Dave Made a Minute is a production of Lemming Drop Studio and all other featured podcast producers. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dave Made a Minute. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. And check out all of the participants' other shows to spread the love around. Again, thank you for listening. As long as we're all working together, this is going to be fine. It's going to be great. I need you to notify the families of everyone who died here today. Totally. Wait, what? <laughs>